0: Well, welcome back to our series on Current Culture. I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. Uh, we only have four lessons left. It's, it's winding down, but um, I hope that these topics have been enlightening to you, uh, that you've been learning through God's Word. And this week, we're going to talk about God's instruction on immigration. Immigration is a hot topic. Uh, it's, it's, very, it's a big deal in the political realm, Um, and we want to understand immigration a little bit better, and we want to take a look in God's Word and see what He has to say about immigration. Does He say something about it, or that's what we're going to look and see, Um, because if God's Word has something to say, we want to know, and uh, we want to be able to apply it to our lives. Well, I want to start by Uh, reading you a quote. I want you to uh, listen or read it on the screen, and I want you to tell me if you know where this statement is found. See if you can get this, okay? It says, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me, I lift my lamp beside the golden door. What do you think? Does anyone know where that is found? Well, the answer is the Statue of Liberty. That is engraved on the Statue of Liberty. Few issues in our culture raise more ethical questions than immigration. Believers must know what God's Word says so that any proposed solutions will truly be a Christian response to immigration reform, and not just a collection of political platitudes based upon preconceived notions. This lesson is going to help us consider immigration from a biblical approach. I'm going to read off some names of immigrants that came over to the United States, you will most likely know at least a few of these people. The first one is Albert Einstein. He emigrated from Germany to Switzerland and then to the United States. He was one of the greatest physicists of all time. Joseph Pulitzer, he emigrated from Hungary to the United States. He was a newspaper publisher and politician. Hakeem Olajuwon emigrated from Nigeria to the United States. He was a professional basketball player, played in the NBA for the Houston Rockets. Irving Berlin, he emigrated from Russia to the United States. He was one of the greatest songwriters in American history. Cary Grant emigrated from England to the United States. He was an actor. Arnold Schwarzenegger, he emigrated from Austria to the United States. Uh, He was an actor, a businessman, a bodybuilder, he was into politics and, and many more things. Sophia Loren, she emigrated from Italy to the United States and became a very popular actress. Alexander Graham Bell, he emigrated from Scotland to Canada. And then to the United States. He was an inventor, a scientist, an engineer. He invented the modern day telephone. He was the one that invented the telephone. Madeleine Albright. She emigrated from Czechoslovakia to the United States. She was an American diplomat, and she was the first female U.S. Secretary of State under Bill Clinton. Levi Strauss. He immigrated from Bavaria to the United States. You might be wearing a pair of these right now, but he was the inventor of Levi blue jeans. So question to ask, what does the United States have to offer that makes it such an attractive place for immigrants? Well, it offers a a lot of things. It offers a stable government, a relatively strong economy, individual rights and freedoms, jobs. There's a lot of jobs available, advanced technologies, and the opportunity to be an entrepreneur. Those are all great opportunities for immigrants that are coming over to the United States. Uh, But the, the greatest opportunity, I think, the greatest advantage that they have is that they can hear the gospel clearly spoken at least right now in the summer of 2021, they can hear the gospel freely spoken. They can carry a Bible without being arrested. They can meet in in a public gathering of worship with other believers. And there's a lot of places around the world where this is not allowed right now. Bibles are illegal, you're not allowed to meet and worship and speak of the things of God and we have that opportunity here in the United States. Uh, so we don't want to forget that. That is the greatest advantage uh, that the immigrants are going to receive by coming to our country. Well, let's take a moment to look at uh, the three different uh, immigration reform approaches or we're going to look at three of them. look let's look at a uh, three different, approaches to immigration reform the first approach we are going to look at is the amnesty approach okay amnesty approach amnesty is uh, kind of a general pardon given by a government so with the amnesty approach it favors a general amnesty to all or nearly all illegal immigrants living in the United States Most of those who hold this view also favor liberalized policies for future legal immigration. Adherents of such a position are sometimes labeled by opponents as open border enthusiasts, but few persons actually espouse a complete pardon for all illegal immigrants. Second is a restrictive approach. And a restrictive approach advocates enforcement of U.S. immigration laws. Usually proponents argue that illegal immigrants should be arrested and or deported. They should not be allowed to share in the benefits that legal persons, such as immigrants or natives, in this country enjoy. Many of those who hold this view also favor conservative policies and stronger restrictions for future immigration. A third uh, general response is a partial amnesty approach, which this attempts to deal with illegal immigrants with a kind of middle ground between general amnesty and the restrictive approach. Proponents say deporting all illegal immigrants is impractical, given current estimates of 8 to 20 million in the U.S., instead advocates suggest regulating the movement of illegals toward citizenship status through recognition of wrongdoing indicated by fines along with incentives towards assimilation the responses that come to the issue of immigration can range and they can vary and sometimes it gets very intense and very hateful but as believers Uh, we need to thoroughly examine the the different aspects of immigration reform. And I, I can't cover in depth all of the different aspects in one lesson. So what we'll try to do today is to cover the main concerns and compare them and base them on what we find in scripture. Let's start by talking about some pertinent biblical teaching. And we need to look at the biblical teaching on the stranger, okay? Biblical teaching on the stranger and some instruction. Well, if we read through the Old Testament, we see that it addresses how to treat strangers in the land, Uh, how God uh, told the Israelites to respond and to to treat a foreigner or stranger in their land. Um, We read that the Israelites were to show care uh, for them through their attitudes and actions towards strangers in their lands. We learn that uh, they were, weren't supposed to glean uh, after the harvest, but leave part of their crops for the poor and for the strangers in the land. Uh, we, uh, that's, that's in the story of Ruth. Okay, so gleaning, gleaning the farmers were instructed to leave the outsides of their fields not to harvest them but to uh, allow the poor and the foreigners to come and and pick or or gain food from what was in the fields also when they harvested whatever fell to the ground was to be left for the poor and the foreigners this was what was being spoken about in the book of ruth when boaz was allowing ruth as a foreigner as a moabite woman uh, to pick from the fields um as uh, an, an opportunity for her. okay? That, that's what it was referencing. Israelites were also commanded not to oppress foreigners in their land and not to instigate uh, problems with them and, and vex them and cause issues. Um, but they were they were told to demonstrate um, who God was to them through themselves, pretty much like we are supposed to live today. They were supposed to show foreigners in their land and the stranger um, God's justice and mercy. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter twenty-four, and we're going to look at verses seventeen through twenty-one. It says, "You shall not pervert the justice to an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt." and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I am commanding you, do this thing. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the alien and for the orphan and for the widow in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. So, God is saying that those who leave their crops for the stranger, or here we see for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow, He was going to bless the work of their hands. God was going to give them blessings as they followed his commands and provided for these people. Well, how serious were these instructions that he was giving to Israel? Let's read one more verse in verse 22. God says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. God stated his instructions in the form of a command and when God commands us to do something we need to listen and obey. God was reminding the Israelites where they had come from. He was reminding them that they were slaves in Egypt and he wanted them to show foreigners or strangers in their land uh, the same care and concern that God had shown them in their situation. He wanted them to do this. And it was a command. And by following his command and and being obedient, the people of Israel would show that they had a fear and a respect for God. While we don't always understand the reason for things at times, and and, like the commands from God, uh, think about what would have happened if they neglected this command from him. Maybe they would have treated foreigners in their land rudely, or uh, just been indifferent to their circumstance. When, when God gives us a command, it's important that we follow it, whether we understand it or not. Well, eventually this did happen. We find that Malachi, you Now, Malachi was writing his um, book of the Bible, his, his, um, uh, his minor prophet that he wrote. Uh, several hundred years before the coming of Christ. And at that time, the Israelites had neglected the commands of God. And one of them was this. They were uh, neglecting and treating poorly the foreigners who were living in their land. And Malachi was writing that God's judgment was coming upon them because of their sin, because of their lack of fear of Him and keeping His commandments. Well, going over these Old Testament passages... Uh, One might think that, well, Americans uh, should allow illegal immigrants to obtain health care and other benefits. You know, if God wanted them to show love to the strangers in their land, then surely he wants Americans to do that as well. And some might even say, well, America should go ahead and just have open borders. Um, You know, Jesus did say that do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But if that's your thinking, if that's your interpretation, uh, we need to pause for a moment, and we need to go ahead and take a second look. If we're, when we're dealing with Old Testament passages, let's talk about application. Problems arise if you think that you can directly apply the Old Testament passages to America today. Well, the first one is this. Uh, America does not have a covenant relationship with God like the nation of Israel does. That doesn't mean that these old testament passages are not applicable to us there's there's not profit for us because there is all of scripture is beneficial to us but we do not have a covenant relationship with god like the nation israel therefore we cannot neglect dispensational distinctions and take these old testament passages as regulatory for the church today secondly The passages that we have been looking at here, they they don't take into account or they don't reveal whether these strangers that were in the land were there legally or illegally. So we have to think about how we address that issue. Maybe we just take a note and say, well, the the text doesn't... uh, review that here it doesn't distinguish between legal and illegal so we're gonna to have to figure out how that is relevant to us in our culture and country today also if we are going to be consistent there are other passages that we can look at that would seem to be heading in a different direction for example Hebrews were not allowed to let strangers partake in the Passover meal unless they had assimilated to the point of adoption of circumcision. So they were keeping them away from cultural things um, because they were a foreigner. Another example is that Hebrews could charge interest on loans to strangers, but not to a fellow Hebrew. So there's definitely a difference and a distinction between the way they were treating one another. If it was a brother, you treated him one way, if it was a stranger in the land, you could charge interest and treat him a different way. Strangers were also uh, not allowed to eat blood in their food, just like the Hebrews. So whether they were circumcised or not, they had to follow those Hebrew practices. If we look at these passages and think that we can directly apply it to America today, you may be tempted to uh, see that immigrants in our country should assimilate and we should allow for some sort of conditional or unconditional restrictions. Well, there's value in understanding Old Testament passages in context, but we can't appeal to these texts alone. Okay? What we can clearly conclude from them, though, however, is this. God cares for people. He, he's concerned about them, and he's concerned about his reputation. Right? He was concerned about the way the Israelites would treat people because of the way it would reflect on him. And, and today that truth is uh, the same. We need to care for people, and we should be concerned about the way that we treat people is a reflection of God. Let's take a look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I had mentioned uh, Malachi's writing earlier. It says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Well, the truth that we gather from this passage is that God does not change. So, His caring heart and His concern for His name are still important today. God still cares for the stranger, and He is still concerned about His name. So, that was briefly a little bit about the stranger. But let's look now on the biblical teaching on the poor. We'll begin in the Old Testament and then look at the New. I think we can make a more direct application from the Bible's teaching about the poor, considering that most immigrants who come to the United States are poor by American standards. There are plenty of Old Testament teachings about the poor. God commanded Moses, For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land." This is a typical passage that deals with the treatment of poor brothers, which is fellow Israelites. There are other passages that speak of generous dealings with strangers, however, as well as the needy in general. If we take a look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 13, we read, He who shuts his ear to the outcry of the poor will himself also call and not be answered. So God says it's important to respond to the needs of the poor. Those who refuse to respond will be hard-pressed for help in their times of need. There are many Old Testament passages we could turn to to continue the theme of caring for the poor, but let's go ahead and look at some New Testament teachings. The New Testament develops the same theme of helping the poor. Luke portrays Jesus applying Isaiah's words to himself in his own ministry in this way. I'm going to read Luke 4.18, which is a quote from Isaiah 61.1. So Jesus read here, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Well, in the early church, the poor and the needy were taken care of. We read in Acts 2:44 through 45, And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, And they began selling their property and possessions and were dividing them up with all as anyone might have need. So the church also received specific directions for helping widows, and James addressed the need to honor the poor in his letter. But let's take a look at Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, to see what was on the apostles' hearts and minds. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was also eager to do. So they wanted believers to remember the poor. And this was something Paul says, I'm already eager to do. Let's look at one more New Testament passage. James chapter 1 verse 27. James writes, Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Well, why does James define pure religion this way? Well, by focusing on others and displaying God's love for the needy are evidence of a true change in one's heart. True religion finds its way into our actions. Well, after reading through some of these Old Testament and New Testament passages, We can understand why President Bush, when he was addressing the mostly poor illegal immigrants in America, was placing an emphasis on compassion. You know, what we read from these texts is uh, God has compassion for the poor and the needy, and we get a glimpse of what his mind is like. And as believers, we should be trying to have the same mindset as him. We should be trying to change and renew our mind, and we should be uh, viewing the needy and the poor in the same way, to have compassion on them. Now, it's still going to be difficult to figure out the best course of action and and what kind of policies to have. If we just let everybody into our country, legal or illegal, the poor is going to be so many that we won't be able to take care of them all. But what I want us to keep in mind, this is the point I want to make, when determining the best course of action when it comes to immigration, we have to remember the truth of how God sees it. And God has concern and compassion for the poor and the needy. And so whatever, whatever we're pursuing in order to fix or create certain policies, that has to be in the front of our minds. We have to remember that God calls us to have compassion for the poor. Let's talk about the Biblical teaching on evangelism. Well, as believers, we need to learn from the past when it comes to reaching immigrants with the gospel. North American believers who opposed immigration in the late 1800s initially kept a distance from immigrants. And as time progressed, they were forced to acknowledge the necessity of deliberate ministry to them, especially if they were going to maintain any Christian influence in the country's urban areas. Slowly but surely, the call to missions began to replace the tendency to separate. The dispensationalist Arno C. Gabeline, he was an associate editor of the Schofield Reference Bible and editor of Our Hope magazine, ministered to the social and spiritual needs of Jewish immigrants in New York City during the 1890s. He viewed his opportunity as part of a personal call from God to do missions overseas, but god had something different in mind he changed the location by sending the people to him today the mission field for immigrants is all around us it's in our communities and it should be a focus of ours and the local church now this doesn't mean that as believers that we need to hold to a lenient view on illegal immigration policies it just means that we need to be aware of the opportunities that are around us. There's a mission field. There is a group of people that need to be reached with the gospel. And we need to see it that way and not just look at it like an ethical problem to be solved. Let me ask you a question. Have you considered the opportunities to reach foreign nations within our own country? Have you have you ever considered that? You know everyone thinks missions is going overseas and ministering to people um over there far away but what about locally i mean there are immigrants here uh, that need the gospel maybe you already know a second or third language have you ever considered this this is this could be a great opportunity for you to share the gospel and to be part of a ministry and advancing god's kingdom so if you haven't considered this Maybe you should pray about it and consider, and maybe God will use you in such a way. Proclaiming the gospel throughout the world is a clear command from God. Matthew lays out clearly the transition to an expanded ministry. Okay, We read this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, where it says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Okay, they were to go to Israel, but by the end of the Gospel, there's a transition. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, the scope of their ministry had changed. Instead of being Jewish-focused, there was now a focus to reach the whole world. The Great Commission describes the nature of ministry during the church age. And if God in his providence has brought the world to our door, believers should have a level of excitement when thinking about evangelizing to immigrants who live in our area. Well, let's remember this an immigrant's greatest need is not american citizenship his greatest need is to become a citizen of heaven right his greatest need is to become a citizen of heaven like us by putting his faith in jesus christ as his savior that's what he needs so even if you have a restrictive view on immigration You need to be seeking opportunities around you where God has brought people to you. He's placed people around you so that you can reach them with the gospel. Let's go back to chapter 9 in Matthew and see what motivated Jesus to tell his disciples to pray for laborers in God's harvest. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest." Again, it's his compassion for people and his passion to see their spiritual needs met. Well, lastly, what are the guidelines for constructing a response to immigration? Let's let's look at two guidelines. And the first one is going to be pursue honesty. Pursue honesty. Let's start by looking at Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So how does this verse relate to the immigration debate? Well, believers need to make sure they are communicating what is true and not spreading political rhetoric or false claims when confronting the immigration issue. Well, whatever else may be said about us as believers, it must be said of us that we speak truth. Um, If if we don't speak the truth, how can people trust us when we share the gospel with them? So you need to know what you're talking about. Um, You need to do research when it comes to immigration. For example, there's been a a big, big wave of people that have been suggesting that millions and millions of illegal immigrants are overrunning our country right now. But if you look at the facts, if you actually look at the statistics, that's simply not the case. I mean, I don't I don't wanna diminish the problems that are coming from illegal immigration, but I also, we shouldn't be exaggerating the truth either. We want people to be able to trust us and believe our word. Immigration has been an important part of American life and we don't want to, Uh, We just need to know our facts and what we're talking about. Truthfulness and careful analysis are important to be a part of every Christian when we're confronting this issue of immigration. Not only do we need to pursue honesty, but we need to obey the rule of the law. One of the defining keys for how to deal with illegal immigration from the Bible's point of view relates to the biblical instruction on obeying the law. Both Jesus and Paul were very clear that believers are to obey government authorities. Let's just look at Romans 13. This is probably the most familiar passage. Romans 13, verses 1-7. through Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist have been appointed by God. For it does not bear the sword in vain. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of that wrath, but also because of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax, to whom tax is due. Custom, to whom custom. Fear, to whom fear. Honor, to whom honor. So we can see why it's important to obey the governing authorities. Those authorities have been appointed by God. And to resist the authorities is to resist God. Of course, there have been exceptions or allowances for civil disobedience. When Pharaoh was trying to kill all the babies, the Hebrew babies, it was right for the midwives to refuse to do so. Okay, So therefore, if the government were to tell you as a believer to kill an illegal immigrant, you should not do that. Or uh, disobedience is also allowed when it comes to sharing the gospel. If the government were to tell you not to share the gospel with illegal immigrants, You should not listen to that. You should still share the gospel with illegal immigrants that you come across. But from what we find in Scripture, um, it it would be wrong for churches to hide illegal immigrants from the immigration department. Or it's wrong for you as a believer to hire illegal immigrants to work for you unless the government has specifically given you permission to do so. Assimilation to the American way of life is largely an adoption and commitment to the country's laws. And if immigration reform happens, Christians need to be obedient to the new plan. This really goes without question. As we just read, we have to be obedient to the governing authorities. Uh, That's God's wish because God has placed them in authority over us. So, potential immigration plans, we need to keep in mind that... Um, they need to be both realistic in their enforcement of the laws that they are creating, but they also need to be compassionate towards the illegal immigrants who are, who are already here in our country working hard and supporting American culture and economics. I don't think full amnesty is the answer, which is forgiving um, of any laws that they have broken so far, but there needs to be an appropriate plan and policies Um, looked at in order to address the, the many many illegal immigrants who are living in our country right now what should the church do well the Statue of Liberty reads give me your tired give me your poor so how can the church do this well here are some ways that we can meet needs we can learn to love the stranger We can show compassion to the poor and needy. We can expect and value ethnic diversity. We can obey the laws of the land, even when they are contrary to our own desires. And when it comes to sharing Christ, what are some different ways that we can have a good opportunity to do this? Well, you could start an ESL class. You can celebrate and embrace their culture and heritage. Find ways to assist them with life skills, help them assimilate into society, and offer assistance with citizenship and naturalization. We need to ask ourselves, the church, Faith Bible Church of Vineland, New Jersey, how are we doing meeting the needs and sharing Christ to immigrants in our area? How are we doing and what do we need to do better? We cannot forget the greatest need. God has called us as believers to be a witness to those who enter our country as immigrants. Their need for Christ is their greatest need by far. We must make that need the primary focus in our ministry to immigrants. Yes, providing food and shelter to immigrants are good, but it's only going to make them more comfortable as they live without Christ and face an eternity in hell separated from God. Well, our biblical response to immigration is to compassionately introduce immigrants to Christ compassionately introduce immigrants to Christ. See them through the lens of compassion as God is compassionate toward people. What are you willing to do to reach out to immigrants with the gospel? And our memory verse for this week is Matthew 9, 36 and 37. And seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I'm going to give you the sneak peek for the next lesson. It's called One Creator, One Race. We're going to find out that the Bible teaches that there's only one race. It's called the human race. And within that race, there's many different variations, but there's only one race, the human race. We're going to find out the truth that God loves each person from every uh, group of people within that race. He loves them and he finds them valuable. So I hope you can join me for that lesson. It's going to be a good one.